Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. Sights to show you. Strange Eons. Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric Morgat. Hello. That's Vanessa Williams. Good day to you. I'm Kelly Young. Hey guys, we've been getting uh, a lot of feedback on the whole value for value model. And most of that feedback is, I don't quite understand this value for value model. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of that. So I thought I would kind of try to explain it with uh, going forward, letting everybody know that this is kind of a work in progress and we're still trying to figure it out too. Yeah. So in my head, the value for value model is we are putting out uh, an hour and 20 minutes of content every week and you are listening to that. Now, if you get some kind of value out of that, then pay it back. And that is in any way that you yeah. feel is impactful to you. Some of you might think this is the greatest thing you've ever listened to <laughs> and I got to give them money. And that's great. Hey, yeah. thank you. Some of you might go, eh, this is not the greatest thing I've ever listened to. Vanessa is kind of annoying, but hey, I will why always me. I will I will like and share their posts. Jeez. Uh, yeah, there you go. So so anything like that is it's just uh whatever you want to give us give us, make it impactful to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a long period of time where most of my life I've had no money. And so a good way for me to um, pay it forward to different people like um, the Seattle International Film Festival, I could never afford to go. <laughs> so I would volunteer and um, do some editing for them or I would volunteer and help them in some other way. And that meant that I felt good about um, being supportive of them. And then in return, they would give me a pass or tickets yep. or whatever it was. So, you know, for you, that might be something like, hey, we're going to like retweet um, when we post our episodes. That's awesome. You might want to put a big thumbs up on it. You might have, you know, several thousand followers and you're like, hey, followers, guess what? This thing is cool. That would be amazing. Maybe you just have your mom. <laughs> you just say, hey, mom, this is cool. That's great. But if there's, you know, whatever that is for you, if that's um, makes sense for you financially to, to, put money in it. That's great. We love you for it. Um, but if you are like, Hey, um, I just managed to like blog about you and oh, that's the way I know. Wouldn't that be amazing? Mm -hmm. That is also amazing. So value for value isn't straight up cash, mm -hmm. right? Kelly? Exactly. Yeah. Right. But we do have the most podcasters should have a link. If you go to the bottom of whatever podcast thing you're looking for, there's a link. Now we just started using buy me a coffee, which I changed do buy me a pizza for, you know, Aww. obvious reasons. Oh, perfect. I'm so happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> buy me a pizza, damn it. So we can, so, you know, and that can be any amount. It just works better than PayPal. PayPal is kind of a pain in the butt, uh, but this is a better interface. But again, we're new to this, man. We've done this for, what, three years now, and we're finally going, yeah, some people seem to really enjoy it. Let's Well, we just kept on fun getting it. people saying, how can I 
give you money. And yeah. I was like, well, why do I keep putting this off? Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. and my mom's been freeloading on this podcast for at least two months now. I think it's time. Pay up, lady. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, I can hear it through the floorboards. I know. I know she's listening. <laughs> also, uh, for everybody out there, keep in mind, no pressure on you. We're yeah. not asking you to no. give us money. So, it, it, you know, or anything, really. Perhaps what you get out of this is exactly zero. <laughs> so, yeah, I put it on the background noise and right. they don't annoy me enough I've, to distract me from building my house or whatever you're doing. play so my animals don't feel lonely when I'm out of the house. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Hey, buddy. Good dog. Ooh, ooh. Go fetch. No, no, pee over there. <laughs> so, yeah, we're still trying to figure it out, and we'll get it yeah. all solidified at some point. But, hey, thank you so much to those of you who have donated and yeah. who are liking and sharing and all of that stuff. Yeah, we got a nice one from a guy named Brian B. I didn't know if he wanted me to say his whole name. Oh. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Brian, you rock. Um, last episode, we did the Mixing Magics episode, which I thought was a lot of fun. And... Uh, a listener on the page, uh, Whitney Treppel, had brought up that what I've been calling Mixing Magics actually has a name, and it is known as Wells Law. What? From H.G. Wells. Wow. And uh, he basically says that there should only be one fantastic element in a story, and that nothing remains, this is an actual quote, nothing remains interesting where anything may happen. And oh. I was like, oh. God damn it, H.G., you damn. are brilliant. Damn. Whitney, thank you so much. She had yeah. uh, brought up as her example of that the movie Looper, mm. which has the time travel in it, and then them killing themselves at the end. Oh, spoiler. Uh, <laughs> but then <laughs> also it. surrounded by uh, telepaths, and of course the Rainmaker, oh, who's yeah. got the super high telekinetic powers, and, and basically it, it just dilutes that main story. Right. And once she did that, I was like, I should have picked Looper. <laughs> you should have missed opportunity. Yeah, because that was actually a good movie. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it, but I guess I don't need to now. <laughs> you haven't seen Looper? No, it just didn't. It never. It's someone I wanted to see, but it just never clocked oh, in enough. That's but good. okay, I, well, that makes it more interesting. It's so funny though that that definition it makes so much sense to me because with Looper, all I remember is the main plot. I don't remember any of the rest of the stuff you're talking about. I know I saw it in theater. I know I liked it. But all, all that washed off my back. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, speaking of good movies, you guys, I saw yes. a very cool movie mm. called Jacob's Wife. I that, have heard good things about this recently. Barbara nice. Crampton. Mm -hmm. okay. And uh, it is kind of a surprise to say, hey, the new Barbara Crampton movie is excellent because <laughs> uh, I don't feel like she's met a script she wouldn't be in for the right yeah, amount of money. she does a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. She sure does. But this one, she actually, uh, she bought the script and had been shopping it around for herself and, uh, you know, just got, filled it with some amazing people whose names I didn't write down. It is just excellent. It is a, uh, it is about a, a woman who has been kind of kept down by her, her minister husband and uh, she gets turned into a vampire and starts uh, living life a little bigger and realizing, oh, I really like this. And it, it, it's not what you think because uh, they both still love each other and they have to figure out now how to deal with the fact that she is a creature of the night and loves being that. <laughs> nice. That sounds like such a good metaphor for um, 
that sort of middle age moment. Absolutely. Ah, that's so good. It's like suddenly, you know, the guy has to go and get the red sports car out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) I just became a vampire, hon, but I'm, I'm, this is who I am now. Take it or leave it. It's a nice change from the Anne Rice era of whiny vampires. Like, just go in the sun, dude. Just, just. Go into the sun. It's fine. <laughs> well, I really loved it. It's a rental right now. It's a cheap rental. I think it's four ninety nine. But the Shutter logo popped up before it wow. played, so I have a feeling it will be showing on Shutter before too long. Oh, nice. that's awesome! Oh my goodness. Well, um, I saw a film, and I think I texted you both about it, and I think you've both even seen it. Uh, the Empty Man. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I don't even know if we've talked about this before in any capacity. We probably we have, have. We have. That's, that's the AM uh, 1200. AM 1200. Yeah, yeah, David Pryor. Mm, yeah. yeah. So I had it thrown on and was ready to endure it. <laughs> what a crazy film. Mm-hmm. I I did not, if nothing else, that was the most unexpected experience that I got. I was like, this is has so many good elements to it. I don't know that it's like a really amazing, amazing film, but it, because it's based off of a graphic novel series. And I think whenever things go through that transition between like book or comic into film, there can be a lot of details. I get a little bit wobbly, but I, man, I really liked that. It took the risks it did. It's a crazy film. I ended up loving it. Uh, It's almost like three different films in one. And the middle one, I was prepared to hate i was like oh boy it's gonna be some kind of <laughs> slender man story or totally. something and then it takes a nice little twist yeah. um i loved it so much i went and bought the comics oh and was horribly disappointed oh the movie is so much better i wow. funnily enough i also immediately went out and bought <laughs> at least the first comic because i wanted to know if i'd like it or not i i don't know how i missed you telling us this or me this but um yeah like i went out and got the first comic by the way um they stopped printing them so on certain websites if you try to get the one, at least one of the editions of the comics, it's like hundreds of dollars. Oh my Whoa. God. Yeah. It's stupid. You can get the movie quote unquote edition and it's a more affordable price, mm. but it's still 20 something bucks, which I was like, this is kind of a lot for like yeah. one comic, but that's okay. The only thing that hit me a little bit is I would have liked it trimmed down a little bit. It had some, um, and maybe it's just the, <laughs> the mom I grew up with in the eighties mm-hmm. when it switched to the final storyline. Like I've I've seen this story, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I was like, "But it's good. It's damn good. There's Man, not. There's nothing. Nothing. It's not like uh, Zack Snyder. I'm Jesus. Lop off two hours out of your damn movie. This is like maybe ten or fifteen minutes. Totally Just tighten it up. But well, it, except it's really good. The movie's called The Empty Man, and you don't figure out what that means until the third act. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I feel, yeah, exactly. There's so much good setup. You know, it's so funny that you've said there's three films in there, Kelly, because I kind of forgot about the first one. And yeah, that was so fucking good. Mm-hmm. Like that yeah. first, ver- like the first segment is so good. And then the second segment, I was like, oh yeah, now we're going into really familiar territory. Nope, guess not. Okay, <laughs> actually, this yeah. is very good. And creepy as hell. Like it's like mm-hmm. A24 level of creepy at times. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I made the mistake of telling my Alexa, that I wanted to hear uh, the song that was playing during one of the scenes in the movie. I had the, the soundtrack was so interesting that I yeah. shazammed it. Then I asked her to play it. Then I told her I liked it. Yeah. Oh, 
And then it showed up like out of the blue when I asked her to play my likes and I, and and it's very subtle and everything. So it just had been playing music and everything. And then this other thing started and I didn't even notice. And I started just going, the fuck is going on? I am feeling creeped out. <laughs> and I was like, Alexa, what is this? It's blah, blah, blah from the empty man. I was like, huh, I do not like this song. <laughs> I've changed my mind. I will only play this when I specifically That's want to hear it. That's right. Nice. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad that you guys liked it because I, oh, yeah. I feel like I really, really liked it. But I'm also like, man, there's so much going on. It's so complex that it's really like a lot of deconstructing that's going on. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Definitely worth seeing more than once. Bad title, bad trailer. Super bad bad poster. poster. God, that poster is so bad. That's why I didn't watch it until you said it was good. It's like, oh, Slenderman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I saw something completely different than that as I continue to enjoy the Arrow streaming service. Oh, right. Uh, Death Has Blue Eyes. Wow. Directed by uh, Nico Mastrakis. I don't know, who directed this film called Island of the Death, Island of Death, which might be one of the meanest, darkest films I've ever seen. Oof. And it's just brutal. I did not realize he was the director, and I never would have guessed it because watching this movie is a fun, goofy, strange film with a <laughs> huge, weird sense of humor. Oh my God. <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, Italian. Uh, I don't quite know if it's giallo, but it's in that field. And it has. Uh, these two weird random guys who just sort of wander around doing shit, like stealing, like tricking people into stealing uh, food from hotels and stuff. And they get busted by this lady and her, maybe your mom. But uh, turns out the she has weird mental powers. Hmm. So she like can move things and I think she can kind of predict the future and she can kill people very violently with her brain or mm. move giant things sometimes. It's the only thing she like, she can't stop one time when they're being chased by a helicopter. I think it's moving too much. I can't get a hold of it to blow it up. Like, <laughs> okay. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. And for some reason, I don't know why, the the mother, after they tried to steal the hotel's the a meal in the hotel, they gave the mom's um, hotel room instead sitting at the table right next to him mm. and then they hire them to be their bodyguards uh, why death has blue eyes yes hmm. as soon as you said that i was gonna say is this an italian film yeah, oh, yeah. That's <laughs> what I, in, I, I believe it's in english i don't think it was an italian oh. one you know how they, a lot of times they phonetically speak english and then just sort of <laughs> try to make it sound good but uh so it's it's weird but man it's fun Arrow, Arrow continues to just put on weird shit. I'm going, okay. <laughs> uh, I saw a movie that I wish I had seen in the theater. This is the only problem with uh, releasing a film in theaters and on uh, on demand or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. I saw Nobody, Bob Odenkirk's oh, new movie. Yeah. It's a $20 rental. It is absolutely worth the $20. Mm. And I wish I had seen it in the theater. It was so much fun. It was so good. I absolutely loved it. Uh, Christopher Lloyd is in it. And he is awesome as well. Just uh, like a more humorous John Wick. (laughs) Wow. 
Yeah, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I can't say enough about it, and I don't want to say anything more about it. Uh, I just had such a good time with it, and if you're if you're waiting on it, I would say, uh, you know, if you and the girlfriend, you and the wife are looking for a movie, twenty dollars is not that much, right? It's yeah. ten dollars a person. Less than going to the theater. Absolutely, around here yeah. for for a good good movie. So <laughs> nice. nice. Um, I saw a film that another one that really surprised me, um, and I, I bet you both have seen uh, "Promising Young Woman." I've seen that one. Yeah, I, I talked about that, that on a previous episode. Yeah, yeah, that's an it's really good, incredible movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a little surprised to see it show up in the Oscars just because it was yeah relatively. Was it for Best Love Actress? Best Picture. Um, Whoa! Best, I think Best Actress, and it won for Best Screenplay, I believe. Okay, yeah, that that's one of those ones where it. I kept thinking it was going to go in a direction, and it didn't. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. but to the point where it was a better movie for it, mm-hmm. and then it had an ending that I'm I won't say, but. <laughs> it, Oh, that ending pissed <sighs> off a lot of people. Too. I bet, I bet, <laughs> but it's very complex because I don't mm-hmm. think a um, revenge film can end happily. I don't know that you can make that. I don't know that it works Mm -hmm. in the way, like you can't make a film about nasty people and then have it be like a, so I I had the complex feelings too, where afterwards I was like, I'm so sad right now. (laughs) Like I have to watch something happy. Um, But it's an incredible film. I I actually didn't realize it was, um, oh, the lead actress, uh, I'm forgetting her name now. Um, Eric's gonna gonna look it up I'll for see if us. I can find it, but I can't is it remember. Amy Adams? It is luckily <laughs> not Amy oh, Adams. Man, seems like she's in every fucking movie. So. She, you could you could take a moment and go, is that Amy Adams? <laughs> um, but uh, no, Carrie Mulligan. Thank you. Oh. Yeah. And I had no idea. I'd seen the posters. I'd seen the trailer. I had no idea it was Carrie Mulligan. Halfway into the film, I was like, oh. I think that's Carrie Mulligan. <laughs> she's just she's just incredible. She's such an incredible actress. She's just a total chameleon um, yeah. who just jumps in that <laughs> in role. In this movie, she's a freaking chameleon, right? man. <laughs> she just fucking nails it. Just nails it. So uh, check it out, but then like give yourself an ice cream after. Oh, I like ice cream. There you go. <laughs> and then yeah, you got to really, see this film. It's a really smart take on rape revenge yes. style films. Yeah, it's it's a very um, neat uh, way of addressing that that genre so should we talk about another large one that came out this oh. week that it was not nearly as successful i uh i assume <laughs> you're gonna sing us the song <laughs> oh my gosh yes unfortunately that song is completely underutilized in the movie that might have been a small saving grace i think that's why even though i haven't seen it in so long i enjoyed the original because that song is so much fun and used so well in that dumb original movie that you're like, okay, this is still cool. Every time it shows up, it's like the Rocky thing. Yeah, let's go. This- <laughs> what movie are you talking about, Eric? I said it, Mortal Kombat. Oh, you never said it. <laughs> Mortal Kombat. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Finish him. They did have that one, sort of. Uh, yeah. Uh, damn. <laughs> they didn't make a baby appear at the end? Of any battle, you didn't see this, Vanessa. No, I have not. Mm. I'm I'm intending to actually probably this week, but 
Well, you know, if you don't want to spoil, I could talk about another movie. <laughs> no, no, I, I can just, I can just pretend. It's, it's such a deep, thick plot. <laughs> I can't it's imagine. So hard to see where it's going. Right. <laughs> it, it was not great, but it had some moments in it that were a lot of fun. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I could have watched the uh, that first segment with uh, Scorpion and Sub Zero oh, and Feudal Japan. Uh, you know, I could have watched an entire movie of that. In mm-hmm. fact, I. I much rather would have watched an entire movie of that. It was almost a mistake to start the movie with that because it was so good. Yeah. That it set up going, whoa, this is going to be a hell of a movie. Nope. I didn't have high expectations either because it's a Mortal Kombat movie. I mean, the first one's dumb and fun. At least I remember it being dumb and fun. The second one was not good, but uh, this looked cool. The The, trailer was incredible. Yes. Plus they showed like the first seven minutes online and, and yeah. I said, you know what? This looks like it's going to be great. Wow. So I had much higher hopes for yeah. it. Oh. And I didn't realize that they, that new character they introduced has never been in a video game. I just figured he'd some character that has been added since I hadn't played. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's so many more, like they're at what? 12 now. I, yeah, I'm not sure, but they added a whole Huge new one cast. Huh. who is, like superhero level powers. There's a little problem with that. Like Sub-Zero was way too powerful a time ago. What do we got an Avengers movie here? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. yeah. It would have been nice to see an actual tournament. Yeah. Since this is a movie based on a game that is about a tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I missed so, that too. That, uh, yeah. It was, I, it was a letdown. Hmm. What were they talking about doing? Because uh, who is the character that didn't appear? Johnny Cage. Uh, yeah, Johnny Cage. And they've Johnny got, Cage. oh, The Miz. The wrestler. Hmm. Are you familiar with him? The Miz. He's also on like, uh, he won one of those MTV reality shows where joined the WWE. Huh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, he might be a great choice because he, he, whether he is or not, he plays an arrogant asshole wonderfully well. Ooh. Well, wait a second. So I'm lost in what you're saying. The Miz, maybe if they do the sequel and they bring oh. Johnny Cage in, the oh, Miz okay. might be playing I that see. character. So just so you know, Johnny Cage does not appear. That Kano had some good lines and yeah. he was, you know, the fun part of the film. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, um, eh, I don't know. I was entertained for a Saturday morning. I made my bacon, yeah. had some bacon <laughs> and uh, sat down to watch Mortal Kombat and found myself on my phone a lot yeah. while it was on. Hmm. I, I am glad it was, I watched it the way I watched it. I'm glad Rather I than going to the theater? Yes, I'm yeah. glad I was not in the theater to see this one. <laughs> well, okay, on that horrible note, way to go, Aww. Eric. Bring everybody Well, I could down. talk about another movie I saw where it's filled with vomiting. It was, actually made me feel physically ill by the time I was done. Well, well actually, we take a break. <laughs> one thing we might want to mention, though, because there was one Speaking other Speaking of vomit. <laughs> there was one other big thing that happened this week. Oh. Okay. Did you guys not see the finale, perhaps? Of Falcon and Winter Snowman? Of Captain Down America, America. <laughs> and Winter Soldier? Wow, you're going you're gonna to throw that out? That's kind of a spoiler. It's in the opening title. <laughs> they, they have it in their first... Of the final episode. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, I yes, loved I it. I did see it, yes. I, I, it was great. Yes. Although same. the John Walker character kind of comes back and kind of redeems himself, with, which made me feel yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah, that was a little too quick and easy. It was a, it was a quick turn. I, I didn't realize it was only going to be six episodes. 
That's what yeah. shocked me. I thought it was going to be a tenor. Mm. So yeah, that that was a quick turn, but I really like that arc in general, even though it did feel fast. I was really stoked. I was like, yeah, you're complex as hell. <laughs> like, you have all kinds of shit going on. And I, I was excited that he's like a known entity within the, the universe. Oh, yeah. So. Was it U.S. agent? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I recognize the outfit and i remember some of the stuff i just like oh yeah that was his name because it's not exactly a memorable right <laughs> superhero name <laughs> right i was thrilled to see julia louis dreyfus oh, man. <laughs> uh showing up as the countess um yeah. who i would have had no idea who she was except that for some reason a couple months ago i decided to start reading Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, from okay. the 60s. Oh, wow. Jim Steranko drawing. Oh, wow. Okay. And she is one of the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents that comes in and then backstabs Nick Fury. Yes. So I'm hopeful that she will have a bigger role in this uh, Secret Invasion. Sure looked like it. the next one. Yeah, sure looked like it. Yeah, I was going to say, what the heck is happening next? Because, like, they've been lining them up and lining them up, so. Yeah, so Secret Invasion, if it follows the comic book storyline, we'll find out that a lot of the people that we thought were heroes were actually scrolls. Holy cannoli. Yeah. I don't know if I can deal with a big scroll twist. It's a lot of scrolls. There's so many. <laughs> Scrolly in here. It's just such a MacGuffin. It's like, oh, it was a scroll. Like, no, just have a plot. <laughs> I can't. I can't keep doing this. <laughs> okay, are you happy? Can we take a break? Uh, yes, thank you. All right, we'll be right back. just sneezed. Look what came out of his nose. Gooey's. Pull one out, but watch out. Pick the wrong one, and he'll flip his lid. Oh no, his brains flew out. Go ahead and pick a winner. Gooey Louie by Goliath. We have returned. Eric, Ooh. this was your subgenre, and yes. well, kind of explain <laughs> what it is. The idea was to try to find something that was a good horror film, more specifically, because we kind of gotten away from that for a while. And uh, one that didn't spawn sequels, one that didn't have um, remakes, one that was not, you know, like you, no Halloweens, no um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, because tons of remakes. So that was the idea. Roger. And with that, I came across a film called from 1976, I'm just stuck in the 70s. These last few years, hey. the witch who came in from the witch who came from the sea.
Shit. I've never heard of it. This uh, this Rotten Tomatoes has a critics at eighty. This is an interesting one. The critics at eighty. The crowd at thirty four. Whoa! And I think I know why. Bit of a cliff. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, hey. It's available on Arrow streaming. <laughs> what? <laughs> the only thing I seem to be watching anymore. This, I actually watched this it episode on, uh, brought to you again by Arrow streaming. Right. Actually, or. I watched actually watched the disc. I've got the the box. It's part of a box set that I'll talk about a little bit later. But it's directed by Matt uh, Simber, who's best known for for fifty six episodes of Glow, the eighties wrestling show. Uh, that girl from Boston. That's the title, not a description. Uh-huh. Uh, and a documentary called Sex and Astrology. Man and Wife, an educational film for married adults. Oh, my God. That's a, I can only imagine the intro music to this. God. Anyways, written by Robert Tom, who wrote uh, The Defenders TV Show and Death Race 2000. Stars Millie Perkins, who uh, has a long and pretty, pretty solid group of films. But, uh, okay, Necronom, Book of the Dead. Oh, it's iffy. But she's on the Elvis TV show, which I believe was the one that starred John Carpenter, I believe. I'm not oh, sure. I yeah. didn't double check that. That was a John Carpenter joint. That yeah, was a Kurt TV Russell. movie, but there was an actual show then also. Oh, was the, it? Okay, maybe it's mean, probably the TV show. And Wall Street and The Diary of Anne Frank. So, variety O films. And uh, Lonnie Chapman and Vanessa Brown. I got so excited for a moment. <laughs> Am I, I was, in this one? <laughs> in a movie in 1976? In I'm guessing life. no. <laughs> <laughs> so the movie starts off with this woman uh, taking care of her two um, nephews on a beach. And it's kind of a muscle beach sort of thing where there's three or four guys working out who are incredibly jacked for the 70s, <laughs> like like Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of guys. That's not the part of their anatomy she's focusing on, however. <laughs> That's lots of shots of these speedos as the guys are lifting their themselves up and down, and she seems very interested in watching them closely. All right, calm it down, Eric. This is uh, a family show. And the, <laughs> sure it is, yeah. And then it ends with um, all three of these guys looking like they've been killed by weird, grisly weightlifting machines Ooh. or whatever they're working on. Mm-hmm. At this point, it's kind of like, I don't think she actually killed anybody. I think this is in her head. Uh, that as they're leaving, they come across Jack's Dracula's tattoo, <laughs> which looks like almost to the level. It's I think the film looks like a shot in L.A., but it looks like almost a parody level of "Wow, this is a really rundown, horrible tattoo shop. You don't want to go into." And then the guy comes out. The kids like, "Oh, I want a tattoo!" And the tattoo guy comes out, and, goes, and the kids run away. <laughs> <laughs> And then it moves forward, and they're they're now with her, the kids' parents, and they're watching the uh, Rams play on TV, and they're talking about this player who's been the greatest of all time. So of course I'm like, I've never heard of this guy. Like I'm pretty sure it's the name they just made up, <laughs> but <laughs> which is good considering where the movie goes. Her and her sister get in arguments about fatherhood and all that kind of stuff. She seems Molly, the lead, seems very delusional in her representation of remembering of her father, which she is. There's 
the film has moments where you're like, is this, is this real or is this her head? What is going on? And the first scene like that is uh, her seeming to be with the football player they were talking about on TV and another football player. So it's her and two guys. Um, and part of what makes it weird, it's not necessarily shot weird. It doesn't necessarily have any video effects, but the audio becomes a little warbly and echoey. Uh, it's not hard to understand. It's done well, but it's like, okay, what is, what is going on here? So she's kind of fooling around with the guys more like uh, they're not doing anything, but they're getting ready to do something. And she's tying one of them up. Well, this other guy smokes what looks like the weirdest looking bong I've ever seen. <laughs> it's like, kind of looks like a pipe, but he just stuck a joint in the top of it. <laughs> smoking outside. It's like a, a messed up cigarette holder. <laughs> what is this thing? <laughs> but uh, so she ties and gags the, both of them eventually. Goes into the bathroom and comes back out complaining, this is going to take forever because you don't have a proper straight razor. Oh, boy. Oh. And then proceeds to emasculate the men, shall we say? Oh, no. <laughs> it's not terribly graphic, but you certainly know what's going on. And then the next day, she seemingly wakes up to the news of these two people being killed. And she's like, oh, my God, who would kill these two beautiful men? What has happened? Is like, <laughs> did she kill them <laughs> and it and it works you're very much kind of going oh, okay she seems delusional enough that this could be completely made up or it's actually something she really did here's where this movie starts to go really dark really dark and, and some flashbacks of her relationship with her father first one's fairly innocuous you're kind of like well, maybe there's something weird going on there but there's more flashbacks to come <laughs> but uh and she has the very strange morality towards people on TV. Like anybody on TV is much more important and definitely much more worth listening to than anybody else that tells her anything. And so she becomes very obsessed with a guy on a razor blade commercial. And it's a weird commercial, not quite out of place for a 70s one, but it's very um, basically him and a woman are saying, well, well let's not, I've shaved. So let's not go out. Let's stay home. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> All right. Beautiful. Yeah. And uh, gets she gets talked into going to a party because she finds out this guy might be there. Party has, a, shall we say, an interesting encounter between her and the, the guy running the party. She doesn't, it's, it's kind of, is he going to abuse her or is she going to come back at him? And end up killing him. She doesn't kill him, but she does beat the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the, an interesting scene from the 70s, which plays really strange because you know what actually happened in the room. But she's sitting around with a bunch of friends and she's trying to blame herself. And they're all saying, no, this should not have happened to you. You should not get attacked no matter what you do. You don't deserve to get attacked, which it's like, hey, great scene. But it's weird <laughs> in the context of this film. Sure. Because... Yeah. Uh, anyway, so she ends up going back to Dracula's tattoo and getting this very, dude's not a good tattoo artist, man. <laughs> it's really bad. Oh. Giant mermaid from mid-chest down to her waist and uh, starts going around saying, well, now I'm Molly the Little Mermaid. <laughs> oh, my. Oh. Like, oh, my God. And one of the waitresses where Molly works is convinced that she knows who killed and why the football players were killed because all football players are gay. Uh, <laughs> she uses different language, but uh, <laughs> you get the idea. But uh, it's it's funny though. It's done almost humor 
in a humorous way, the way she's talking about it. And the police seem to be getting closer and figure out, but Molly still has no idea what's going on. And uh, then we get another flashback. Oh, God. Of her coming home and finding her father sitting naked in the back of a closet. All right. <laughs> Sounds like a normal Sunday afternoon. She ends up dating the guy from the Razor commercial. Wait a second. What happens with the dad in the closet? Well, that's just the, that's the one flashback. There's still oh. at least one more. Okay. <laughs> we'll see how much of that I'll Wait, tell you about. Waiting with bated breath. <laughs> <laughs> but she goes out with the guy that uh, who has that. And he has a, she has an illusion of him. You need to basically saying you need to kill me with this razor. And he starts to cut himself. Unfortunately, it's really not great effects. It's very obvious. It's just blood on the end of a razor. Yeah. <laughs> There's no cutting at all, uh, which is weird because there's some really gnarly violence earlier on. So she ends up going back and is she killing him? Well, she's covered with blood, although she's doing it with the safety razor, you know, the kind of Bic razor. Oh, <laughs> oh like no. This, this is going to take forever. <laughs> that just sounds so mildly painful. <laughs> and uh, let's see. Here's my note on the Last flashback scene. Holy shit, the end of this movie is all kinds of wrong. No wonder Molly has issues to work through. Because oh. it is, well, her dad was horrible to her. And it's, I wouldn't say it's shown graphically, but for what the content is, I'd say it's graphic enough. Hmm. It's like, uh, wow. Okay, if this movie interests anybody at all, I'm about to spoil it. <laughs> because the dark ending is so fucking dark. It is so I mean, it's just unreal what is what happens at the end of the film. The her her boyfriend, she's got a regular boyfriend through the whole thing that oh, she's good with. That's not the razor guy. That's not the razor guy. He's just he's kind of an on and off boyfriend. Mm. He'd probably be you know, like a fuck buddy, would be what you'd call him probably now. And the waitress who thinks all the NFL players are gay is a friend of hers. And they realize that she's the person she has been doing these killings. And so they decide <clears throat> she's very, you know, depressed and sad and upset. So they decide she needs to take a lot of extra pills. And Molly agrees with them. She's like, yes, I, I think I should. I think I should take all of these pills. Will you help me? I'm like, okay. And that's dark enough. The two nephews show up. And Molly looks at them and goes, will you guys give me help me take these pills? I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like... Okay, you're 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 going to have her nephews help her commit suicide. <laughs> sure. It's just like the, it's it, it popped up on a lot of um, most disturbing films, and through most of them, I'm going, well, okay, yeah, guys getting castrated is disturbing, but it's definitely not unqualified any of. And then by the end, I'm going, oh, okay, yep, mm -hmm, yeah, this is wow. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's an incredibly well-done movie, carried by uh, the performance of uh, Molly, the lead, is just stellar. And uh, so, you know, it's a happy little movie at the end. 1976, you say? Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Huh. The uh, notes and trivia. The tagline for this mm -hmm. joyful little film. Oh, God. Molly really knows how to cut men down to size. Ew. Oh. <laughs> It's good, but geez. It's part of, Arrow's got a series of two box sets of three films, which is uh, underrated horror from America. And it's a series of films I feel like 
should be talked about, like Last House on the Left or Texas Chainsaw or something. And if this one's any indication of the other films on there, yes, they're right. Mm. This is, it's not a happy movie. It's not a, it's a rough one to watch. I don't think it could ever reach the, because of some of the subject matter, I don't think it could ever reach the popularity, even of Last House on the Left, as dark and grim as that film is. Hang on, Eric. I'm getting mm-hmm. my pencil and paper. It's not a happy movie. Let me write this down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just in case you didn't get that already. <laughs> the intro to the movie, the director calls it meditative. <laughs> like, well, it's a 76 film. So yeah, it has a 76 movie pacing. Although I never really felt bored just because her performance is so good and so weird. Um, there's two, B, two DPs listed. See if you can figure out which one probably did most of the work. First guy listed who's Ken Gibb, who directed Super Boobs and Nookie Court. Oh, my God. No. Renegades TV show. <laughs> and the uncredited DP, Dean uh, Kundi. Oh, Dean Kundi. Who, who's DP'd on Halloween 1 through 3, uh-huh. Escape from New York, Big Trouble in Little China, all the Back to the Future movies, Jurassic Park, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And more than 100 cinematography credits with three films currently in pre-production. But did he do super boobs? <laughs> I mean... I think that we yeah, know who the real cinematographer right. here is. <laughs> Considering it's an incredibly good-looking film and well-structured, I, I think it's probably not super boob, man. <laughs> <laughs> the film originally got a X rating from MPAA and had to have several cuts. Uh, That should have been the tagline. (laughs) To get an higher rating. And and it was one of the 72 films banned by Britain as a video nasty, which, okay. And it wasn't released in the UK until 2006 in an uncut form. Mm. The poster art is deeply deceiving. (laughs) It is a cover from Warren Comics' Vampirella, number 11, with art by Frank Frazetta. Oh, wow. The uh, the witch, I think it's called The Witch. I looked up the original art, and it's it basically looks like they took that art, put on a new face, <laughs> put in a new background. Uh-huh. I mean, it has nothing to do with the film. Does nice. it show her, like, as a witch? Not really. Okay. It's more like a... Um, are you familiar with Frank Frazetta's work? He did a lot of Conan and things. It's more like a spirit, maybe a witch you might see in Conan. Mm-hmm. Certainly not a... Salem. More like a swords and sandals style. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So if you see the poster for this, it is just ridiculous compared (laughs) to the film. At one point, Millie Perkins, the lead, was married to Dean Stockwell. Okay. (laughs) Your trivia. This is as trivial as it gets. Right. This this one is truly disturbing for me after reading the movie to find out the casting agent cast his own daughter to play the kid in the flashbacks. I'm like, oh. Oh, why? I that's so weird when you hear stuff like that. We're gonna have a little bit uh remind me when we get to my movie. We're gonna have a little bit of that in my movie. Oh, okay. So. Oh. Yes, yes. After your reaction to um uh The Lady in White, I would recommend you avoid this film at all costs. <laughs> uh, oh. And the disc did have a pretty good documentary interviewing Millie and the director and a lot of really well done. Well, it's Arrow. The production is top-notch that they put together. So uh, that was my happy entry into one and done. And I know why it's never been remade and there's no room for a sequel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I mean, I love the title. The title Mm. sounds great. 
Yeah, it's it's a really well made movie. It's yeah. I'm going to remember it for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> like I need hypnotherapy right now. Um, well, the movie that I I picked out is about as far away from yours as possible. The family oh dynamics God. are completely the opposite. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, and definitely a cheerier film, considering it's not necessarily cheery content. Um, and that would be the 2006 film, The Host. Mr. Kim, formaldehyde, dirty formaldehyde. Pour him into the sink. good film it's a great film and um you know it's funny because you you put out the one and done concept and i started kind of racking my brain trying to figure out films and i am sure there are many many amazing qualifying movies but the first like 10 i thought of i was like and this one had a sequel i never saw and this one is based on something i didn't realize so it was definitely um once i came across this and remembered this existed i was like i have not seen this since college i've got to check it out uh for those of you who don't know this is the south korean the host not the stephanie meyer um, what? Oh, I'm glad I didn't know that. To confused it. Oh yes, I read that book and saw that version of the host. And boy, howdy! If you thought that Stephanie, if you gave her a pass for um, uh, not misogynistic and abusive towards women, <laughs> Twilight definitely is fine. Uh, then you were wrong. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Well, hold on. Uh, I, I'm looking at the news right here. The host, too, gets director Myung Chan Park. So, 
What does it say the the <laughs> words 2014 on there? I don't see it with Do you know what year it is, sir? <laughs> because I'll get there. I will get there. It's like the last thing I'm going to say, but it's in there. All right. <laughs> All right. Let this slide. So, uh, this this film, interestingly, uh, Rotten Tomatoes 93% for critics. Yeah. So extremely high. 72% for audience. <laughs> which sucks, but I think um, it's something that Eric's mentioned before where it's a foreign film, it's a uh-huh. foreign language film. So I guess people are like, oh no, the crazy monster is uh, you know. not enough. <laughs> Look, if you were sitting with 10 of your friends and seven of them said they like this movie, that's a pretty good. Yeah, that is yeah, true. So. That's not too bad. Seven and point two. One's on the, you know, one's one <laughs> worth convincing. <laughs> Um, the director of this, of course, is the amazing, um, Bong Joon-ho. Let me know if I said that wrong. Yeah, um, I'll let you know that. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone, uh, is like, no, that's not the right pronunciation. Um, so he won the Oscar, obviously, last year for mm-hmm. Parasite. Just an incredible director. We all yeah. know him from things like, uh, not only, um, Mother, Snowpiercer, Oakja, and Parasite, but also other films like Memories of Murder. I'm definitely going to hunt down this one called Tokyo, where he he did a segment. And Barking Dogs Never Bite, which is supposed to be amazing. I have not yet seen that one either. (laughs) He actually does a little more writing than he does directing. He's written um, all of his directing projects or, or most of them. So um, it's it's nice that he has that kind of multi-part creative talent. That being said, he did have two writers who were helping him out on this, but I want to say they had a real light hand because both <laughs> of them have only ever done three films total. So one did a guy, uh, another film called Stray Dogs and Spy Girl, and the other did something called Undercover and Poor Roar, the Snow Fairy, an animated adventure. So... Don't know that they really had much other than probably a spell check. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, the the cast of this, um, you have like kind of a nice cast of six characters that are the main characters. So you have three siblings, a father and a daughter. Okay, so five. Um, <laughs> but it's a, a kind of family dynamic and they each pull their own weight. The lead is this kind of bumbling idiot um good for nothing brother slash son who helps his father run this um, sort of beach side or river side food stand um, <laughs> where they bring food out to um, picnickers. And uh, it, it's interesting. It's obviously definitely like a South Korean thing. It's not something that I've encountered over here, but it's something that you would imagine if you went to a seaside town, you would walk up there and be like, I want a corn dog. I'm at bl- blanket number six. And then they come out with a corn dog, but with squid. So <laughs> <laughs> switch that out. Um, so that's played by, uh, it's credited as Song Kang Ho. But his name is also Kang Ho Song because Asian names uh, are amazing and I just don't fully understand them. Uh, but he plays the character Park Gang Du. Uh, he's been in quite a few films, uh, 34 credits. He's a favorite um, to be used by uh, Bong Jun Ho and has been in almost all of his movies including Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, um, which is not one of his films, but um, it's something we all know. Memories of Murder, Lady Vengeance, The Host, Snowpiercer, Parasite. He's done a lot of TV, and he's um, uh, pretty well-known in South Korea. We also have um, 
Faye Donna, who plays Park Nam Ju, the sister. She's been in 35 things, including Sense 8, Jupiter Ascending, and Cloud Atlas. So she's crossed the pond. Um, Park Hai Lee plays Park Nam Il, the brother. He's been in 33 things. The only one I knew is Memories and Murder. Um, Byun Hee Bong plays Hee Bong, the father, and um, he's been in 41 things. I suspect he's pretty well known as well, but he was also recognizably in Okja and Memories of Murder. So obviously, Bong like really likes to use the same the same people over and over. It just I think from the sounds of it, it just makes his life a lot easier, and he can spend more time on the other things in the film instead of just spending all the time trying to get the actors where they need to go. And then last but not least, uh, we have a really talented Park Hyun So, um, played by Ko Ah Sung. Um, so I will not be referring to these people's names. I will just be calling them their roles throughout the rest of this because uh, I don't want to keep <laughs> making people feel bad. But she she plays the daughter. She's been in 21 things, including a more recent Life on Mars TV show in 2018. Lots and lots of TV and um, also was in Snowpiercer. And she's just awesome. She does a great job. So the story of the host, well, it's not about a group of friends who try to do a seance on the internet. <laughs> it's not about a alien that takes over a girl's body and then lets her boyfriend beat her up. Um, instead, <laughs> I just love that film. Um, instead, we've got the plot um, following a creature that kind of gets accidentally made and released into the Han River and terrorizes um, South Korea. So, <laughs> yeah, a scientist in the year 2000 um, is working in a lab and demands for his assistant to pour 40 plus bottles of formaldehyde down the drain because the bottles had a layer of dust on them. The assistant protests, but uh, his boss won't have any of it and is basically like, nope, do it, bye. Um, so the assistant does it. Cut to the year 2002. Um, two men are fishing in the Han River, and they find a small, strange aquatic creature, uh, which they, they suspect is some kind of mutated fish or life form. They catch it in a glass and then drop the glass, and it goes off on its merry way. <laughs> Cut to the year 2006. And that's when we meet a dopey, sleepy, lazy um, guy who's like our, our lead, um, who's basically asleep on the counter of this, um, this food stand. And people are just used to him being this way. They come up, they buy their thing, they move his head um, up, totally asleep <laughs> off of some magazines. It's got change under there. They grab the correct change, um, put his head back down on top of the coins and walk off. So this is who we're, we're dealing with. This is somebody who's essentially as much of a loser as you can get. Um, but a loser with a heart. Uh, his father, um, who's super eccentric, but also very sweet and hardworking, who actually runs the stand, is helping him out. And then we also meet his daughter at the same time, who shows up in a school uniform. She's sarcastic. She's a bit dark, but she's super quick-witted. Quick she's um, very young. Um, and she really wants a new phone. And he's like, oh, don't worry. I've got I've got savings for you. I'm ready. We're almost there. We're almost to the new phone for you. Because she's so embarrassed. She doesn't want to pull it out. And he brings out this change jar. And she looks at it. And she's like, that's like $3. <laughs> this is not going to get a new phone. He's like, no, 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 no. We're almost there. We're almost there. So he obviously loves his daughter very much, even though he's just not a good father. He's just not. He doesn't have the tools to do it. Um, in the meantime, they they run into the back of their little um, camper thing, and on the TV <laughs> is his sister slash the the 
father's daughter, obviously. Um, and she's doing an Olympic trial for archery um, and uh, about to win potentially the gold medal. So they're watching her, but something happens. She just holds on to the bow too long and doesn't release in time. The timer runs out. And even though she hits the middle, she has to go home with a bronze. So we have this great setup of our characters early on, of their 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 positives, their negatives, um, and just a really good family dynamic right off the bat. Nice. Um, so, the son asked to uh, is asked to go and correct an order that he got wrong, and he runs out with the squid that he ate a leg off of because um, that's the kind of guy he is. Uh, that's the thing. <laughs> Toasted squid. Nom nom. Um, he runs it out to a blanket and he sees all these people standing at the edge of the uh, water and he's wondering what's going on and he's trying to give this dude his food and the dude's like not paying attention and he's looking at the water. Um, and they see out in the river this giant creature that's emerging. Um, and they somebody throws a beer can at it and it, it grabs the beer and pulls it under and everyone's like, ooh, ooh, ooh let's throw <laughs> stuff at it and see what happens. All this stuff gets rained down upon it, just <laughs> all these items. And the creature kind of sits down there for a minute. And then all of a sudden it just jumps out of the water and starts eating everybody. <laughs> so magical. So um, chasing them down, just destroying them really magical moment. He's kind of falling all over the place and therefore the creature just keeps missing him because he's just such a clumsy oaf. <laughs> um, it, there is a really harrowing moment where a bunch of people go into one of the little like um, riverside uh, structures and kind of hide themselves. They've closed the door and the monster's running around and the monster just opens the door and just goes straight in there. And all you see is just blood and like banging, like pouring out. And like the other side is there's another door, but it's locked. And you're like, oh my God, this movie is dark. <laughs> so of course, um, our main character is running and he sees his daughter. And so he grabs her hand and lifts her up and we go into slow-mo and they're running together and they stumble <laughs> And then he gets back up, grabs her hand, keeps going, keeps going. And then all of a sudden, this other man runs alongside him, grabs the other hand of this person he's carrying, and off they go. And it's not his daughter. And he turns around and he looks, and his daughter is just getting herself up off the grass. Oh, Hearts, so I'm gonna cry. <laughs> and he sees the monster barreling towards her, and she, there's just nothing you can do. And um, it grabs her with its, um, I think it's its tail, and it runs off into the water with her. And this big bumbling guy tries to chase after her, but he's slow. He's, you know, he jumps in the water. He gets about five feet out. He, and the thing's already across the other side and gone. Um, and so it's just assumed that the daughter has died. Cut to everyone has been quarantined um, and also at a funeral. So there's all these kind of pictures that are up of all the dead, I guess, very quickly done. Um, and there's also an official walking around being like, oh, are you, how, how much, how close did you get to this thing? And um, we start to get a little sense of the humor that's in this. For example, the officials like, uh, so I, you guys, there's like something going on, but I don't, I can't really explain it. We're going to wait for the TV to explain it to you. So I'm just going to, just going to turn it on and the TV starts to play with the news and it never really happens. And he's like, ah, don't worry about it. 
could you guys just go over there? And we're just like, oh my God, what's happening right now? We then meet um, the whole family because they all arrive to pay tribute to um, the lost daughter. So you have um, the the lead uh, main guy, you have his father, you also have the Olympic brown, bronze medalist sister who shows up and um, another child, um, the their brother who also comes. He's kind of a middle management type. They're all, um, you know, crying and sobbing in an incredible scene where they are just going freaking nuts with emotion. And um, people start and come over and take pictures of them because they're just crying and sobbing so loudly. And like, <laughs> they look like they're wrestling each other, just flailing on the ground. And apparently, um, one fun fact, that scene was improv So it's just really impressive. So basically what's happened is there's this idea that anyone who came in contact with a creature needs to be quarantined because there's some kind of virus that's happening. So the whole family gets quarantined. And while they're under quarantine, um, our lead guy's phone goes off. And who's on the other line but his daughter? I'm in a sewer somewhere. Come and get me. <laughs> now we start the race for the entire family to try and break out of quarantine. Either some of them try to convince people with money, with heartache. Um, no, just, you know, do the test as quickly as possible and then let me out. And they're like, no, 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 no. Not only can you not leave, but our lead got, apparently opened his mouth and like swallowed some of the spit of the monster. So they're like, no, 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 no. You are really not leaving. Ooh. So the father sets up this kind of um, heist where he pays somebody basically everything he owns for them to help them, uh, for some dudes, help them escape in a white van. So they get out of there and they start their great search for the daughter who is somewhere in the sewer system. And thus we begin this really interesting family drama slash comedy slash monster movie of these people trying to hunt down this girl in across the entire Han River having no idea where she is other than it's a large sewer. The character development in this is really neat. Um, there's a lot of twists and turns where different family members are separated or are injured or are in custody. Um, you get to see each character really shine all the way through trying to to rescue this girl. I don't really, really want to give away the ending other than I'll say that it's by the same guy who did Parasite and you can see some of the similarities in there, but just throw a giant monster in there. There's a lot of kind of class stuff going on. There's a lot of, uh, like I said, family dynamics happening and there's a really good turnaround where near the end they all have to work together even though they're so different uh, to, to try and kill and take down this creature. I love this movie. It's The writing is incredible. Um, the fish, I think, was a really good choice of design um, as a as a giant monster, mostly because the CGI does not age well. <laughs> so <laughs> it being like fishy and scaly is pretty pretty helpful. Also, it's heartbreaking. The acting is such; it's just so top notch that even though it's a comedy, it almost makes it harder when the hard things happen. Watching his heartache, knowing that he couldn't save his daughter, it was just like impossible to sit through. He's just so visibly destroyed by it. Um, but somehow also at the exact same time, hilarious. So there's just really, really great stuff going on. I totally recommend this uh, film and checking it out. Um, just very nice, interesting, authentic little family relationships. Um, the bad and only bad thing really about this movie is the CGI sucks. <laughs> it's, I mean, it, like I said, yeah. it just does not age well. 
Oh, was it, it 2006? It was also not great in 2006. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Okay. And there is kind of a reason for that. So um, this film was given a huge budget in South Korea. So it was given 10 billion South Korean bucks, whatever those are, um, <laughs> which is just over 10 million US dollars. Um, so despite that, he really was able to stretch the money in a lot of ways. But unfortunately, one of those things was the special effects were really, really minimal. They actually did get the creature designed um, and molded in New Zealand by the Weta Workshop, which you guys might know as Peter Jackson co Jackson's company. The animatronics were done by John Cox's Creature Workshop, and the CGI was done by the Orphanage, which had done a lot of the effects for Day After Tomorrow. So they, they really tried to put their money in a good place, but you see the creature so much throughout the film that I just don't think it stretched very far. They did actually, um, in fact, film a lot of it by the Han River, which meant that all of the cast and crew had to get tetanus shots. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> mm, Han River, man. It was a rough spot. Um, they had to deal with um, the weather changes, which included the temperatures freezing, and they had to go in and break up the river, which was basically frozen sewage water at that point. Blech. Yep. When it got hot um, and windy the water would evaporate and the silt would turn into dust and blow into their faces as they're Lovely. Like, yeah. Jeez. It's grotty oh. to think about. <laughs> really, really tough. However, this is um, as of March 2009, so who knows if this has changed now, but it was the highest grossing film in uh, South Korea, selling a total of 13 million tickets. This meant that over 20% of South Korea population watched the movie. Uh, although some were people who went and saw it multiple times. So uh, it was a cultural phenomenon to the point where they actually have a statue of the creature on the oh. side of the Han River. I love it. Nice. <laughs> Just so cool. I love that dedication to film. Um, <clears throat> Bong Joon-ho has expressed some frustration when making the film and stating that when you first think of making a monster movie, you have to realize that a lot of people may be down on you because there's a big prejudice prejudice against such films. He described that after he had conceived of the idea and told his friends about it, they looked at him like he was a crazy person and told him, don't do it. Don't waste your talent. So Bong Joon-ho uh, was disheartened by these comments, um, which he described as little wounds to his heart and then <laughs> proceeded to write the rest of the script in secret. And then he looked at, called every one of them afterwards and said, <laughs> Up yours. <laughs> yeah, completely. Completely. Um, the monster was inspired by an article about a deformed fish with an S-shaped spine caught in the Han River. Uh, he wanted it to look like an actual mutated fish creature rather than a more fantastical uh, monster. So in the opening scene, this is reflected in the fisherman catching that fish, which is kind of based on an actual thing that happened, which um, I'll get more into in a minute. The co-writer and director... Uh, the director, I guess, Bong Joon-ho. I don't know why it listed it that way. And the designer of the creature nicknamed it Steve Buscemi based <laughs> on the actor's screen persona and the way he acted in Fargo. Um, pretty good, sure. pretty good. Politically, uh, the film was in part inspired by an incident in 2000 in which a Korean mortician working in the U.S. military in Seoul reported that he was ordered to dump a large amount of formaldehyde down the drain 
In addition to its environmental concerns, this caused some antagonism towards the United States. The American military station in South Korea is portrayed as uncaring about the effects of their activities have on the locals. Uh, the chemical agent used in, by the American military to combat the monster in the end of the movie is called Agent Yellow, which is clearly a thinly veiled reference to Agent Orange, but is also used as a satirical kind of tool. The director said, um, it's a stretch to simply say that The Host is an anti-American film, but there's certainly a metaphor and political commentary about the U.S. But that isn't to say that he doesn't also make fun of uh, North Korean authorities as well as South Korean government and bureaucrat. There's a lot. Nobody is safe from this film. <laughs> he goes hard. He even went as far as to incorporate footage from the Iraq war in the film's news footage for two reasons. First, it allowed the story to progress, but it also gave uh, the director the ability to include political satire as maybe the virus isn't real. Maybe it's a rumor, just as there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. <laughs> so I was like, that's a deep cut, yo. Um, this film was received incredibly well. It's actually one of Quentin Tarantino's top 20 favorite films re released between 92 and 2009. Sequels. Okay. Let's talk about the sequels, guys. Twitch film announced in November 3rd, 2009 that a video game was planned to be released as a multi-platform first-person shooter. As of 2020, no game has been released and it is assumed to be vaporware, uh, which basically means a product or an idea that's uh, pitched but never actually happens. Mm. Sequel, in June 2007, it was announced that a 3D film alternately referred to as a sequel or prequel in news reports was in progress with a different director. The budget for The Host 2 was announced at close to US $12 million and would be based on a script by webcomic artist Kang Fu, uh, Fuji. Fuji? There's a thing on full. King full. <laughs> There's a thing on my screen. It was blocking it. Um, an FX demo reel debuted at the Tokyo International Film Festival in 2010, and the projected release date was summer 2012 announced. However, as of 2020, there's no other updates, and the project is considered uh, as a status unknown. A remake in November 2008 was announced by Universal Studios um, with Gore Verbonsky producing Mark Poirier writing and the first time director Frederick Bond directing. The film was set for a 2011 release. However, the production remains in so-called development hell. So I love this because people have tried so hard and it doesn't need anything. It, no one needs to remake this. No sequels need to happen. It's fine. It's great. It's perfect. We can leave it alone. And apparently no one has managed to. So maybe it's cursed. It's also such a Korean movie yeah. that remaking it in America would just turn it into an American monster movie and it would have none of the bite. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's so many culturally specific moments mm -hmm. within this just all throughout sprinkled that it would be, yeah, it would be completely watered down. It's sort of like what happened with The Grudge when they tried to do the U.S. It's like, this doesn't translate it's at like all nothing. as a story. Yeah. Yeah. Although it's interesting that. that Gore Verbinski was attached because he had great success with The Ring. True. So, right. That's probably know. why they had him yeah. attached. Good choice. I yes. own this movie and I don't think I've seen it since I bought it when it first came out. So I should probably <laughs> yeah. give it another rewatch. Same. I was in the exact same boat. I was like, I've owned the DVD of this for years and never actually watched it. So of course I streamed it. As but... I say, I streamed it now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to watch a higher quality than that dumb 
Uh, DVD now just looks <laughs> crap on a HD TV. Bad. Well, I thought for sure that I was going to do uh, a David Lynch film for this. I felt like, yeah. boy, this is going to be the easiest one I've ever done because <laughs> David Lynch, right? And um, my favorite movie by David Lynch is Wild at Heart. So imagine my surprise to find out that that was not only based on a book, but has a film sequel. Yep. Does it? So, yeah, yeah with the same characters, not directed by Lynch, of course. Yeah. But I, I was like, okay, well, that's out. But I'm on to something here with David Lynch. So I'm going to do a racer head. And then I watched that fucking movie again. And as much as I love it, I was like, this movie. How do you talk about it? Yeah. It's yeah. just, I mean, it's, you know, on the surface, it's very clear what's going on in it. But it's so fucking weird that I was like, oh, there's no way if I try to talk about this weird fucking baby and all of this shit and the hair. <laughs> So, <laughs> I chose from 2007, Planet Terror. Say a prayer for your old man. No dead bodies for Dada tonight. Adam, you're on. I got bit. Bit by what? If I told you, you probably wouldn't believe me. They're not living. What the hell was that? They're not dead. The hell are the bodies? They're gone. They're not stopping. The hell is going on? Jerry. spread all over the world. You want the story? I'll spin it for you quick. We got a face full of DC too. But the laws of science are broken. Right now, the soldiers are turning. Don't taunt me, Tramp. Once that happens, they'll tear us apart whether they want to or not. The side effect is terror. I swore to my men that I'd do everything in my power to keep them alive. I never had a choice. <laughs> Last hope for humanity. I'm gonna go get Jerry. Fine, but we're taking my car. I'm riding with you. Rests in the hands of a few. I have no leg. I made you something. Stand. A boss. No, the other way. No, the other way. David Lynch film at all. You're absolutely right, <laughs> smarty pants. I could find no budget information on this. And a box office of only 11.5 million worldwide, what? which seems weird that, to me. It was such a knockout, that double bill. Huh. That's the information I got. Uh, oh. Rotten Tomatoes, the critics have it at 76%. The audience has it at 77%. Very agreed upon number. Right. Yeah. 
Written and directed by Robert Rodriguez, who you'd know from El Mariachi, Desperado, The Faculty, Dust El Dawn, Sin City, and just a ton of other movies. Yeah. Starring Rose McGowan, who you'd know from Scream, Charmed, and being a very angry person in general. Uh, Freddie Rodriguez from Poseidon, <laughs> Lady in the Water. Uh, but every, my favorite. Every once in a while, there's a moment I wish we had video for people to watch. <laughs> And Vanessa's had two moments so far this evening. Yeah, I know. I, I had I, video for I one was scratching on the. <laughs> and I, then there was another one. Right I there. do that for Vanessa. <laughs> yeah, um, my Rose. Rose has been through some shit, yo. I get it. Let, let her be mad. I it's get fair. it. Look, she's very vocal, right? Everybody's let her because be mad. No one's <laughs> listened for so long. I, I just they tried to burn her to the ground. Whatever, go on. <laughs> Freddie Rodriguez, who I love from the movie Bottle Shock. And then a cast of hundreds. Uh, I'll just name off a couple of people. Josh Brolin, Jeff Fahey, Michael Bean, Bruce Willis, Fergie, Quentin Tarantino, Michael Parks, Danny Trejo, Cheech Marin, and just the list goes on and on of people you know. I forgot there were so many famous people in this. Yeah, it doesn't quite save this movie. I think 76% for this is super high. This is a so-so movie, and it is made less... Because of Tarantino's involvement, I think he's plays very, this is, you know, what we were making fun of people who like, you know, oh, I don't like this movie because it's mean. Like, yeah, it's a horror film, you know, so yeah. get over it. This is a mean spirited movie that just has some scenes that are just incredibly uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, so we meet Cherry Darling at the beginning in the opening credits, in fact, as she's dancing to the credits and everything. And it is a really cool, sexy dance scene with names popping up and all this stuff. And uh, ends with her crying on stage. And she goes into the uh, dressing room and the owner of the bar uh, comes and tells her, hey, you got to stop crying on stage. <laughs> Which is kind of a funny line, you know. Um, and she says that she needs to make a real change in her life. She quits her job. And uh, while walking home, it's the middle of the night, she's walking on this kind of deserted highway road. Uh, uh, suddenly, uh, several military trucks pass her, and they pass close enough that she has to throw herself into a bunch of trash cans. She brushes herself off. And uh, we cut to the military base a couple of miles away. And we see this showdown between scientists and soldiers all fighting over these mysterious canisters. Uh, did I put who? I didn't put who the guy is who is the scientist who's fighting, but he played the Iraqi soldier in Lost. Remember him? Oh, yeah. Super oh, handsome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he plays kind of a uh, slimy, uh, hard to say what he is. He is a bit of a scientist and also kind of a con man and he's dressed really sleazy and he likes to carry a canister of his enemy's testicles. Ew. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Power to the nuts. Right. Um, <laughs> the soldiers, of course, are led by Bruce Willis, who shows up and uh, they no. all start shooting and he wants whatever is in these canisters. But what he doesn't realize is they put a hole in one of the canisters and everybody starts zombifying. Like immediately, as soon as they breathe this, wow. their skin starts <laughs> bubbling and they're like, Bleh. I remember very little of this. Same. Film. <laughs> I was saying the same thing. It's, I think I saw I, it twice I, in theaters. I'm going to like brace through this because there is so much going on in this film that 
it would feel like a Vanessa description if I tried to <laughs> tell you everything. I'm trying to get better, guys. <laughs> I'm working on it. Meanwhile, Cherry has stopped at the local diner where a Jeff Fahey works, and um, she runs into a large number of our cast, like sheriffs and cooks and all these people who are going to be part of this movie, uh, but including Freddie Rodriguez, who plays El Rey, who is her ex-lover and very concerned with the fact that she left and took his jacket. Uh, I've definitely dated that guy. <laughs> yeah, but he keeps saying, he took my jacket and she starts getting annoyed and then finally says, did you check in the pocket? And she's like, no. How many years has this been? She hasn't put her hand in the pocket. She puts her hand in the pocket. She pulls out an engagement ring. Oh, mm-hmm. I did not date that guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> also, meanwhile, at the hospital we start to see the effects of the zombie invasion with people coming in all infected and gross and melting and dripping and everything. And we meet a psychotic doctor played by Josh Brolin, his wife who is planning to leave him. She's having a affair with Fergie and he has found out about it. And this is kind of a plot point that winds through the rest of the movie because as she's trying to escape and deal with the zombies, he's chasing after her. And of course he's become a zombie too. And so these zombies all kind of have, um, their their minds still so they're not mindless zombies get it they're mindful zombies Mm. what do you think of that Mm. very fido meanwhile again el rey has agreed to drive cherry to the bus station because she has a dream of becoming a comedian in la and he says but you're not funny and she (laughs) says that's what i keep telling everybody that's not funny Rickets. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's not a good joke. They are soon beset upon zombies. He has to swerve the truck and uh, they drag her off and he goes chasing after her and he gets to her and saves her, but not before they have feasted on her leg. Yeah. 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 Uh, so he then drags her to the hospital. The cops all hate El Rey. They know him and Michael Bean in particular hates him for some reason. <laughs> Um, we are then, we, we are then told later on that El Rey, who is kind of a punk looking kid. I mean, Frederick Rodriguez in 2007 looked like he was, he was probably 28. He looks like he's about 16. (laughs) And, um, we find out that he has got some kind of secret, uh, he's, he's like top secret military and knows all about these canisters and all of this shit. And it's just like, Oh boy. This is... <laughs> um, the cops all hate him. And, uh, this all goes the way you expect it to until the cops finally see the zombies for themselves when they attack the ho- hospital and the cops pitch in to help. One of the cops is, um, who's that asshole makeup special effects guy that everybody hates. Savini? Oh, I didn't say it. Um, he's there, and uh, they're blowing the shit out of everybody. These zombies are very gooey when they get hit by bullets. There's a lot of uh, blood splatter, and it's a very thick, viscous blood. It's kind of fun. Everyone winds up back at the diner to hole up and make a stand, and even though Cherry has had her leg amputated, she and Ray have passionate, loving sex in the back room. Oh, that's a very open-minded mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. And then the film does the one thing that I really enjoy. Um, the uh, the projector burns through the film, 
<laughs> and we get a title card that says missing reel. And when it starts back up again, we are in the middle of the end of the third act and we are in this big climactic fight, uh, fight scene. Um, there's all sorts of explosions going on. At one point, the guy who's piloting the helicopter tilts it down at just the right angle to plow through a bunch of zombies. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And also, Cherry gets her leg replaced with a machine gun grenade launcher and no visible way to actually use it, but it fires apparently mentally or something like that. She just points (laughs) it and it goes where she says to go. It's all very over the top. Uh, The movie is almost great, and that's what makes me so angry about it. There's uh, Tarantino shows up as a... uh, a military officer who, when he finds out, well, he's got control of these people and he's got them, you know, quarantined and all of this stuff. And uh, he likes to then rape the women that he gets. Uh. And at one point, there's just a very uncomfortable scene where he's going to rape uh, uh, one of the uh, one of the crazy babysitter twins. Oh. Remember them? Mm-hmm. And uh his he's gotten the uh, zombie mist on him and his balls then start to melt in a in a truly disgusting scene because you get to see it but he's still intent on raping the women and it's just uh it's played for laughs and it really doesn't it just doesn't feel right there's something there's something about it that was really offensive and you guys know me I do not get offended by anything. I was just like, this has no place in this movie. It's just really, really bad taste. And then it it goes into a a very typical kind of thing where, you know, it it could have been set up for a perfect sequel. And I don't know. I, as I was watching this, I was like, God damn it. There's a lot to like in this. Mm. And, uh, and then a lot not to like, I think Robert Rodriguez is a, good director and a bad writer. Oh, sure. And uh, he doesn't quite, well, he doesn't like, um, he doesn't like uh, doing three act structure or anything like that. He, he's kind of uh, all over the place. And and I, I admire him so much for what he was able to do with El Mariachi. And then I love Desperado. I think oh, that's man. one of my favorite stupid movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just the, existence as a filmmaker he's carved out for himself. Oh, yeah. Basically building his own studio in his backyard. He can shoot and from beginning to end make a movie on the gear he owns now. It's like, dude. I think uh, there are very few people who I am like, I am a fan of Robert Rodriguez, Mm -hmm. although I don't like much of his movies. I'm a a fan of the person he is. Yeah. Uh, I've got a little bit of trivia here. Rodriguez first came up with the idea for Planet Terror while making The Faculty. He told Elijah Wood and Josh Hartnett that zombie movies were about to come back in a major way. This is 1998. Hmm. So he had like a line on uh, the Dawn of the Dead remake and 28 Days Later and all this stuff. Because that wasn't until 2002. So anyway, he wanted to be there first when it happened. So he prepared a script, but he only got as far as 30 pages before he got stuck. And then he got attached to a bunch of other projects. The zombie craze happened just as he predicted. And he was like, motherfucker. (laughs) Uh, Damn you, Zach. (laughs) uh, This bit is about Josh Brolin. Joel and Ethan Cohen refused to give Josh Brolin an audition for the role of Llewellyn in their movie, No Country for Old Men. So he asked Rodriguez to help him shoot an audition tape while Brolin was filming his scenes. 
Uh, Rodriguez shot and Tarantino directed the tape, which was shot using a $950,000 digital camera. (laughs) Marley Shelton, who was playing Berlin's wife in the movie, agreed to read the lines for Llewellyn's wife, Carlin Jean. uh, And he, of course, got the role. Yeah. So... Rightly so. Yeah, when you can get your audition tape directed by Tarantino and shot on a million-dollar digital camera. Then you're probably worth that. (laughs) Right. John Carpenter, Vanessa, are you familiar? Uh, Go on. Okay. Carpenter, who composes the scores to his own films, was originally chosen to compose the score to Planet Terror. Oh, interesting. But Rodriguez ended up taking over the job as composer instead, although excerpts from Escape from New York do appear throughout the film score. Oh, interesting. Isn't that interesting? Huh. And if you have ever read like Rebel Without a Cause or anything, oh, yeah. Escape a or yeah, Rebel Without a Crew. Yeah. Escape from New York was his film. That yeah. was the film that inspired him to become a filmmaker and all that. So I mm-hmm. thought that was neat. Um, here's interesting one, Eric. Yes. Rose McGowan. Uh-huh. originally suggested her friend Ray Philip Santos for the role of El ah, Ray, but Ray. instead it went to Freddie Rodriguez. Ray Philip Santos appears in Eric and my film, Thing on the Doorstep. That's right. <laughs> oh. Briefly. That's so, cool. Yeah. So oh, that was nice. very strange to see this name pop up. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the scene at the beginning of the movie in the strip club, Cherry is zipping up the boot of her right leg when she says, I need a dramatic change in my life. Oh. And that is the leg, which is later amputated. Beautiful. Foreshadowing. <laughs> Here we go, Eric. You know how um, uh-huh. your casting agent of your film cast his own daughter for this? Yes. Do you guys remember in this scene that um, the, uh, the, the wife of Josh Brolin, who is played by Marley Shelton, she is, um, she is leaving him and she goes and gets her son. And then she's going to go to her dad's place and, and all of this shit is going down now. So she makes the son stay in the car, but then she hands him a gun and says, if anybody but me comes, shoot them. And he says, okay. She shuts the door. She walks away. We see a flash in the car and the kid has killed himself. Yeah. This is one of the other scenes that I was just like, Jesus, this did not have to be in here. I, I, anyway. Rodriguez found the scene where Dr. Dr. Dakota Block leaves son Tony in the car with a gun to be so chilling to film. He didn't want to use anyone else's children to play Tony. So he used his own son, Rebel Rodriguez, so he wouldn't feel as bad killing a child. Oh, my God. Oh. And that kid went on to have a lot of therapy. Apparently, uh, there is one cut of the movie that doesn't have him dying and there's one copy of that cut and that is the copy that is at the Rodriguez house. I was going to so say, adorable. he's pretty good with his kids, right? Like, Well, he's got an fun. entire franchise based on his yep. kid's idea with that shark boy and lava girl or it's whatever. Just such a, it's just such a scene that didn't need to be there. Yeah, I was like, yeah. boy, this, it was uncomfortable um, because the kid is like six. Yeah, Gosh. it doesn't even so, make super good sense. Uh, finally, the total body count of Planet Terror, 281. Beautiful. El Rey has 52 kills. Cherry Darling has 50 kills. And Sheriff Haig, played by Michael Bean, has 13 kills. And then, you know, I can't do math, but I don't think that adds up to 281. So the rest must be other people in the film. Yeah, Gotcha. Probably. It's a large cast. It is. There's a lot going on. Fuck this movie. 
almost great. Yeah. And I know there are people listening right now who fucking love this movie, and I, I get it. There's a lot to like in it, but not for me. Yeah, both of the both of those films I felt were close to being really good double bill of movies and just just kind of missed the mark. The the idea of doing grindhouse style films mm-hmm. and then having the trailers in between and stuff like that, that is a neat idea. And they do pull that off. This does yeah. feel like a movie from, you know, the early eighties, late seventies. Tarantino's feels a little bit more like that. But mm-hmm. I think Death Proof is maybe his least the least of his films. I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's so so and you know, I don't know. I always enjoyed Death Proof, but maybe that's just the the female in me enjoying those girls just killing it. I don't know, but it's it's been a while since I've seen it. So. No, and uh, and Kurt Russell is amazing in it. Yeah, the the yeah. women are amazing. Uh, I I just feel like I mean, there's zero story to. Oh it, yeah, so. no, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. It, I mean, like it's definitely both of them. I think suffer from that truncated situation. Yeah, yeah, and they had. The uh, the clout and the money to go, hey, you want to do something cool? Let's do this. So they did. Yeah. Anyway, who's got the next subgenre? I believe that would be me. Oh, oh. what are we doing? It's been a little while. So, um, yeah. <laughs> a couple episodes. It's at been least. A, at least two episodes <laughs> since my turn. Um, so, I, you know, I really love this thing that keeps happening in movies that um, I thought I hated, but I think I really like, which is the loop. <laughs> The loop structure oh, or loop. not just time loop, but let's say something just happens again. It doesn't necessarily need to, like in the matrix, for example, right? You get the deja vu, mm. something that you see repeated or in a memento where like he's remembering, but he's living at the same time. So sure. some kind of mirroring or doubling up of something. So I'm going to call well, it loop, but it doesn't have to be strictly loop. Doesn't have to be Groundhog's Day kind of thing. Does not have to be straight up Groundhog's Day. I'm picking Groundhog's Day. All right, sure. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll there just, are so we'll many We'll just let you ones. talk and explain that one. I'll just cut that segment. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. That sounds fun to me. Um, many thanks to everybody again yes. for all the likes, the shares, the money, the just being awesome people. You guys rock. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And we will really appreciate it again one week from today when we come back (laughs) and talk about loops. See ya. Our show is recorded somewhere high above Naval Station Everett at the nexus of all realities and is engineered and produced by Eric Margaret. Our theme music is Strange Eons Part 1 by the band Nightshade and is used with permission. Find Strange Eons Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and wherever find